Welcome to the Get in the Fight podcast. My name is Nate Whitson, and I'm the founder of Get in the Fight Ministries and our exclusive online fight club for Christian men. Everything we do here is dedicated to helping Christian men become the men that God meant for them to be. So if you're looking for helpful content and conversations that can help you to grow and become the man that God made you to be, then you're in the right place. But before we get started, please do me a huge favor and be sure to subscribe, click the like button, and then leave us a five-star review. Doing that helps us to reach more men who are looking for content just like this. Also, if you'd like to learn more about our mission and how to get involved or how to join the Fight Club, then head on over to getinthefight.club. That's getinthefight.club and learn more today. But without further ado, it's time to get in the fight. So let's go. Let's say it's June 6, 1944. You're a soldier in the third wave coming onto Omaha Beach. Thousands of men have gone before you, and now it's your turn. As you jump out of the Higgins boat and wade to the beach, you see the bodies of fallen soldiers everywhere, floating in the water, tossing in the surf, lying on the beach. Moving up the sand, you encounter hundreds of wounded men. Some are limping towards the bluffs. Some are looking for shelter. Others are barely crawling. Snipers are on the cliffs looking to take them out, and everywhere you look there's pain and brokenness. The damage is almost overwhelming. When you reach the cliffs, the only point of safety you find is squads of men with no leader. They are shell-shocked, stunned, and frightened. Many have lost their weapons. Most of them refuse to move. They're paralyzed with fear. Taking all of this in, what would you then conclude? What would be your assessment of the situation? Whatever else went through your mind, you would have to admit at least one thing. This is a brutal war. And no one would have disagreed or thought you odd for having said so. But we don't usually think about life like this, not in those clear of terms, and I'm not sure why. Have a look around you. What do you observe? What do you see in the lives of men that you work with, live by, go to church alongside? Are they full of passionate freedom? Do they fight well? Are their women deeply grateful for how well their men have loved them? Are their children radiant with affirmation? The idea is almost laughable if it weren't so tragic. Men have been taken out right and left. Scattered across the neighborhood lie the shattered lives of men and women who have died at a soul level from the wounds they've taken. You've heard the expression, he's a shell of a man. They have lost heart. Many more are alive, but badly wounded. They're trying to crawl forward, but they're having an awful time getting their lives together. They seem to keep taking hits. You know others who are already captives, languishing in prisons of despair, addiction, idleness, or boredom. The place looks like a battlefield, the Omaha Beach of the soul. And that is precisely what it is. We are now in the late stages of the long and vicious war against the human heart. I know, it sounds overly dramatic. I almost didn't use the term war at all, for fear of being dismissed at this point as one more in the group of chicken littles, Christians who are running around trying to get everybody worked up about some imaginary fear in order to advance a political or economic or theological cause. But I am not hawking fear at all. I am speaking honestly about the nature of what is unfolding around us, what is unfolding against us. And until we call the situation what it is, we will not know what to do about it. In fact, this is where many people feel abandoned or betrayed by God. They thought that becoming a Christian would somehow end their troubles, or at least reduce them considerably. No one ever told them that they were being moved to the front lines, and they seem genuinely shocked at the fact that they've been shot at. 
That is a reading from John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart, that we've been working our way through here at the Get in the Fight podcast and really been dealing with for the last several episodes, issues of a man's heart. And in the last episode, episode 10, we started to really look and discuss the wounds that a man gets. But when you hear a dramatic reading like that and you you hear somebody say that it looks like all around us today is the carnage of a war similar to the scene at D-Day in Normandy, France in June of 1944, you can see why somebody would say that's a little dramatic. Like when you think about the world around you today and you hear somebody compared to that, what do you think? What comes to your mind? You know, when I first hear that or I first read that, I kind of thought, yeah, that's a little dramatic probably. But yet you start really processing what John is saying here. And I think he's, he's probably more accurate to say that it's like that. Think about men that you know. Just think about like guys in your life. Look at guys at your church. What do you observe? Look at guys in your circle of friends. What do you see? Look at guys at work. You know, look at the dads and the men that are at the sporting events of their children. They're just kind of, you know, following them around to every sporting event or activity that they have or band or, you know, plays, whatever it is. When you see men today, what do you see? You know, John asks a good question. Do you see men that are like fully alive? Do you see Christian men in particular who are living this full life that Christ has offered to us? Do you see marriages in most of these men that are flourishing? Do you hear them talk about their wives in uplifting ways? Do you hear men talking about just a deep, passionate love for Christ that shows up in ways that they serve, they, they show up to everything, they give sacrificially? Do you see that in men? The issue probably for us is that more than anything else, we are living in a scene like Normandy, France but we don't even know it. If John is right and we are living at war, but we don't know what's going on, no wonder that men are being taken out and are becoming soft and discouraged, disillusioned. No wonder so many of us have been you know, knocked out of the fight and we're not living life to the fullest. No wonder. We don't even know that we're being shot at. And John says there at the end of that passage, that we're, we're surprised that shots have been fired. We're living these lives thinking about 401k and thinking about vacations and thinking about paying off debt, thinking about just getting our kids to whatever events they're at, thinking about just trying to make it through the day. We don't even know that we're being shot at and killed, and we don't even realize that there is an enemy that is doing all of this stuff to us. John says something that I think that's really important. He says, until we see the situation for what it really is, we won't know what to do about it. And I agree. We are at war. And the primary target that the enemy is firing at is your heart. There is an enemy who wants to destroy you. There's an enemy that's trying to wound you. There's an enemy that is trying to take you out. In fact, I've heard this said that, uh, thinking primarily even like in Vietnam era, but I'm sure this is true all the time in war, but that if a soldier or an enemy can kill a man, that's great. But if he wounds him, it's even better 
because then it takes a few other soldiers who have to get out of the fight to try to rescue this guy. And so instead of just taking out one, you might take out three or four because other men have to step out of the fight and go get you and, and take care of you. The enemy will try to destroy you for sure. He hates your guts. That's one of the things we keep saying throughout you know, this series as we're working our way through John's book, Wild at Heart. He hates your guts, but he will, he will take whatever he can get. If you're a guy that's going to church and you're a, just a genuinely good guy, you might be saved, but you might be saved and off on the sidelines, living life not realizing that you're at war and you're missing some, some big important things that God has in store for you. And so, so much of what Get In The Fight is all about is really recognizing this very thing. This is why we're starting with this book and this podcast series, because as John describes so well in this book, this is an issue of restoring a man's heart. And you're going to see why that's so important in just a second. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the conversation so far. And if you are, please do us a huge favor and be sure to subscribe, click the like button, and then leave us a five-star review. It only takes a few seconds to do this, but it makes a huge difference for us, and it helps us to reach more men who are looking for content just like this. Thanks so much for listening and helping us out. Now back to the show. I want to share this with you, going back to the book here. This issue of a man's heart is so critical, and, and here's why. Listen carefully to what John says here. Do you know why there's been an assault? The enemy fears you. You are dangerous, big time. If you ever really got your heart back, lived from it with courage, you would be a huge problem to him. You would do a lot of damage on the side of good. Isn't that interesting? The enemy fears you. And this is where it gets really interesting. If you're listening to this, hopefully your radar is up a little bit to go, like fears you. What does that even mean? Well, what I don't mean is that you are something special because, you know, hate to break it to you, <laughs> you and I are not special. But he fears you because of who is in you. He fears you because he knows exactly who God is. As an angel of light and one of the chief angels of God at one point, the devil knows exactly who God is. He knows exactly who is living in you. And so it's not about you. It isn't your strength. It isn't because you're something special. But it's because of Christ in you that he knows this. He is afraid that if you get on fire for Christ, if you start living a life where your heart is whole and you are unafraid and bold and courageous and on fire for the Lord, he is afraid that you will start taking back some ground that he has won. And you will. And, and that's the whole point of this. We are not playing in some game. We are in a war zone. And the, the effects of that are that men that get out of the fight cause so much damage. Instead of advancing the kingdom of God, we let the enemy go forward on us and take up space. And that space is people's lives. That space is the destruction that he does to people that we care about, people in our family, people in our homes, people that we care greatly about. But there's good news and bad news in this. The good news is this. Let's start with that. The good news is that Christ 
already won. That's the amazing news here. Christ already won the war. It's over. It's already been done. So that's the great news. And Christ has said that he gives you everything that you need in this life and in the next. The bad news is that there is an enemy who God is allowing time in his own sovereign wisdom and understanding for whatever reason this is. And we, we do know some of this answer that it's God's kindness. It's his patience. It's his long suffering, not wanting anybody to perish, but that all would come to him. So we know some of that answer there, but God in his sovereign wisdom is allowing this to happen, that he allows the devil a certain space of time to wreak havoc. But the war is already over. The bad news is that he hates the king and he hates what is coming to him. So he is just literally hell-bent on destroying anything that he can and taking as many people out as he possibly can. And so that means that because you're at war, this is going to get bloody. This is going to be a battle. This is going to be dangerous and it won't be easy. It kind of makes me think of this, that in Christ you have just so much potential. Because God in you is enough to advance his agenda. He doesn't need you to be strong. He's strong. But he wants to use you as a vessel to advance his agenda. And so we have this potential that's within us as men that if we would get back in the fight and restore our hearts, restore our minds, and fix our lives fully on Christ, make the most of every opportunity, every single day that we had. Imagine if we had men focused like that. God would work through men like that, and he does work through men and women like that to advance his cause. And so when I think about potential, it makes me think right now of a friend, and I'm just going to say his name's Charlie. It's not, but Charlie, we'll just say, is a guy I think of that I just love dearly. He's an amazing guy, has so much potential, so much potential. He's just this likable guy, an amazing friend, very funny um, he's a guy that you just, he's one of those guys that, you know, maybe you guys know people like Charlie who, man, if he ever got it, if he ever connected all the dots and really committed his life to Christ, I think he could win over so many people. But Charlie is up against some serious battles. Charlie's a guy who his wife just struggles, just struggles with depression and anxiety and just different issues that that make his marriage just really hard, really hard. He also has kids that have health issues and things that he has to deal with that, that are just painful. They're, they're painful burdens as a dad to take on. And especially, again, you compound that with just a, a hard home life. He deals with some hard things. On top of that, Charlie's a guy that just brings in some old bad habits, you know, a little bit lazy, a little bit lacking motivation and, and focus. And so when you combine all of this, what it means is that Charlie's a guy that has huge potential, but would even like admittedly say he knows he's not living up to it and, and it kind of drives him crazy and it's why he's in the fight club. It's why he's fighting against that. But he's a great example of a guy that I think so many guys are like. He has the potential, but there is some stuff in his way. And what, what I think is so important is I want to, I want to point to like what's really at stake here. What's going on? Charlie is up against a war that he doesn't know exists. 
And so Charlie just tries in his own strength to get through this. Charlie tries to work his way forward, but he hasn't tapped into the real power of Christ in him. And the devil works against his heart constantly. And so he constantly is hearing stories and whispers in his ear of discouragement. Like, you know what, you've tried this before. You'll never be faithful like that. Your marriage will never get better. Your kids are probably sick. All of these things that he has to deal with are issues of the heart that the enemy is trying to destroy. And what the devil knows in Charlie's story and maybe in your story and my story is that he will just chip away at your heart. He will throw arrows at your heart for your entire life. And he will know that he can't win you over because he will see that you are covered in Christ and that you are, are saved. But he will take you out of the fight and he will do everything he can to destroy everybody around you. And that's what's happening in Charlie. And I think about that and I just think of that word potential and think that's really what this is about. The devil fears the Christ in you because you have so much potential. And I, I want to pause here now and kind of shift scenes a little bit with that as the backdrop and just talk about these different ways that the enemy is going to try to attack that potential, that he's going to try to attack good things in your life and keep you on the sidelines. And one of the ways that he does that, that I want to talk about for a few minutes now, is with women. Now, you're going to find that I'm married happily for 19 years, I think, right now, um, to just the best woman in the world. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, and I don't mean that flippantly at all. I'm just beyond blessed and grateful for my wife. So this won't be a conversation about women are bad or wrong or any of that. But in general, what I want to talk about is how a man looks to a woman to fulfill a piece of what it means to be a man and to answer that question that he has that's deep in his heart about, am I man enough? Do I have what it takes? If you listen to some of the former podcast episode, maybe nine and 10, we talk a little bit more about this and you can go back and, and listen to some of that. But the deepest questions of a man's heart really center on those questions. Am I enough? Am I really a man? How do I know? And so when a man doesn't know how to answer that, he starts looking for proof. And I want to read this to you, going back to the book here. John addresses this a little bit, and he says this, Where does a man go for a sense of validation? To what he owns? To who pays attention to him? To how attractive his wife is? Where he gets to eat out, or maybe how well he does at sports? You see, the world cheers the vain search, make a million dollars, run for office, get a promotion, hit a home run, be somebody. Can you feel the mockery in it all? The wounded crawl up the beach while the snipers fire away. But the deadliest place a man ever takes his search, the place every man seems to wind up no matter what trail he's followed, is the woman. Because in searching for the woman, a man hopes that she will make him feel like a man. I think this is kind of a, a really interesting turning point in this conversation where we realize we're men at war. We realize that the enemy is attacking our heart. And what's interesting is he does it many times with this woman that God has created. You go back to the Garden of Eden and this very original intent here was that this woman would play this role as this perfect 
companion, this opposite complementary role that men need. And, and God made us to fit together men and women in this unbelievable mystery of who God is and the Trinity and so many other deeper things. But in that, and because that's so special and because it's so perfect and pure and beautiful in the way that God made it, guess what? It is under attack and we see it everywhere. We see it in so many different ways today. But in staying in topic here, men are in search of answers. In particular, again, do I have what it takes? Am I a real man? And they're looking for proof of it in a legitimate way through a, a woman in some capacity at least. But we're finding that the answer is illegitimate when we make her the, the sole object of proof of masculinity and manhood. And, and when we do that, here's the thing, like when we do that, when we place this emphasis on a woman giving us what we need to show that we are a man, then we've given away power to something that was never intended to be given away like that. And we end up in terrible situations because of it. And, and again, I want to go back to the book and read a few more paragraphs here because John just really nails this issue that when we start to look to a woman to be proof of our manhood, it leads to some bad things. John in his book goes on to say this, why is pornography the most addictive thing in the universe for men? Certainly there's the fact that a man is visually wired, that pictures and images arouse men much more than they do women is true. But the deeper reason is because that seductive beauty reaches down inside and touches your desperate hunger for validation. You have a desperate hunger for validation as a man and you didn't even know you had it. So a woman touches that like nothing else that most men have ever experienced. You must understand this is deeper than legs and breasts and good sex. It's mythological. Look at the lengths that men will go to find the golden-haired woman. They have fought duels over her beauty. They have fought wars. You see, every man remembers Eve. We are haunted by her. And somehow we believe that if we could find her, get her back, then we would also recover with, with her our own lost masculinity. If a man can feel like the hero sexually, well then, mister, he's a hero. So pornography is so seductive because what is a wounded, famished man to think when there are literally hundreds of beauties willing to give themselves to him? Of course, it's not just to him, but when he's alone with the photos, he feels like it's just him. It's unbelievable how many movies center around this lie. Get the beauty, win her, bed her, and you're the man. You're James Bond. You're a stud. Why is pornography this huge issue? This is a question that, that we have to address in a podcast like this. Yeah, we are visually wired and thank God for it, right? It's a good thing. But the devil attacks every good thing. He hates God. He hates you. And so any good thing, especially the best of things, the most beautiful of things, like marriage and sexuality and those things, he's going to attack them with a ferocity and with just an anger. And you see that happening all around us. But see, it's not just about being visually wired that makes pornography so crazy. That's, that's like missing the big point here. The big reason that it grabs us like it does is because it makes us feel like we're answering the big question of our heart. It really is a heart issue in terms of saying, 
how do I know that I'm a man? How do I know that I have what it takes? How do I know that I'm enough? How do I know that I am a man like I want to feel like a man? And so we turn to an illegitimate source like this, a woman who is not for us, a woman who is not our complementary role like Eve was designed to be. It's an illegitimate source. And we turn to her and we think, and we're actually celebrated and encouraged in our culture to say that if you can sleep with as many women as possible, then that's what makes you a man. So many guys think that's how you, that's how you know that I have what it takes. That's what we deep down inside are using to say, like, I'm validated. And this is really what it is. Pornography is an illegitimate source of validation where a man thinks he's the man. And yet, think about how crazy this is. You never feel like a man after you've seen porn. You feel like a piece of crap, and you are. You're a piece of crap at that point, right? You've sold your soul for something that's not real. It can never satisfy. It's an image on a screen. In fact, the problem with so much of this is that when guys get so deep down the rabbit hole with this, eventually that what eventually what they're seeing isn't enough and they have to try to act it out in real life and it leads to all kinds of major major issues it's a battle for validation of our hearts we are hungry to know how to answer the question am i enough and pornography is an issue because it's a trap and it makes us think that it's something real when we know that it's not listen to John again here, going back to the book, he says this about pornography and about this issue with women trying to fulfill something that they can't. He says, it's a deep lie wedded to a deep truth. John is so right on. A deep lie that is wedded to a deep truth. This is where our eyes can really start to get open, by the way. This is where when we start to see what is true, all of a sudden we can start to address what's going on. John had said that in the beginning, until we can say it for what it is, until we recognize what's really going on, we don't know how to address this. What's really happening with pornography, what's really happening in this war is that the devil is attacking our heart and he's using a lie to try to fight against and and tie it to something that's true. Loving a woman is the truth and there's beauty in it. The lie is that pornography or even validation from a good woman to say that you're a man is the lie. It's not where it comes from. So going back to the book, he says, Eve is a garden of delight, but she's not everything that you want. She's not everything that you need. She's not even close. Of course, it will stay a million miles away. You can't get from here to there because it's not there. It's not there, John says. It's not found in a woman. The answer to your question can never, ever be found there. Don't get me wrong. A woman is a captivating thing, more captivating than anything else in all creation. The naked woman's body is a portion of eternity too great for the eye of man, someone once said. Femininity can arouse masculinity. Boy, oh boy, can it. My wife flashes me a little breast, a little thigh, and I'm ready for action. All systems alert. She tells me in a soft voice that I'm a man, and I will leap tall buildings for her. But, and this is key, femininity can never bestow masculinity. Femininity can never bestow masculinity. 
It's like asking a pearl to give you a buffalo. It's like asking a field of wildflowers to give you a 57 Chevy. They are different substances entirely. When a man takes his question to the woman, what happens is either addiction or emasculation, usually both. He's so right on. The lie has been tied to something that's true. And deep down, we as men have bought into the lie because we're encouraged to in every movie and TV show and locker room that we're in that getting a woman and betting a woman is how you prove that you're a man. Even for those of us that aren't sleeping around and doing some of those things, we still have this idea in our minds that somehow this woman's going to fulfill me. Somehow getting married maybe will take care of this issue and I won't struggle to know if I have what it takes. I'll know it because I got married. And even in that, it's not true. John says, she's not everything you want. She's not everything that you need, not even close. And so a lot of times when we get discouraged by that, or once we start to figure out that that's true, this is where he says it leads to two things, addiction and emasculation. What's interesting is he goes on to say, but it's usually both. And so I don't know you, obviously, as you're listening to this, I don't know your story. What I would guess is that there's probably some truth to this, right? Maybe you're not all the way addicted to something, and maybe you're not all the way emasculated, but there's a good chance that maybe you're somewhere between both of those worlds. You know, we get addicted to the thrill of the chase when it comes to that. It isn't necessarily just addicted to pornography, but we get addicted to, you know, even those lesser evils, if there's such a thing, of hoping that a girl in the gym maybe looks back at you and you're thinking like, I wonder if she thinks, you know, that I have something special, whatever. You get addicted to thinking that maybe she gave you a glance and that fills that, that void or that hurt in your heart where you want to still know that you have what it takes, that you could still, you know, win that game. And so we get addicted to that rush and to that feeling and we find it on Instagram reels and we scroll through Twitter and Facebook and, you know, Facebook's a piece of trash at this point because you click on there to connect with friends and then there's a video link there and every video is just trash, but we get addicted to that. And again, that visually wired truth about a man, all of a sudden we find ourselves like rushed with adrenaline. We can't hardly stop it. And you know, we can't turn our eyes away from that stuff and we're addicted to it and it ropes us in. Studies have even shown, I've read, where the, the rush, the physiological rush of looking at pornography, what it does is it floods your system with so many chemical reactions. It's very similar, almost the same as what a, a crack addict has happened to them when they take the first shot. I remember hearing that and just thinking, man, that is unbelievable that it is really, really difficult to stop the addiction, not just because it's mentally hard, but because physiologically it changes you. It's, it's flooding your system with this rush of all these chemicals, and you are feeling that high every time you look, every time you go down that rabbit hole. And the devil is such a jerk because he gets us to go down that rabbit hole and then he shames us after we do. He tells you this is where pleasure is. This is where 
Fulfillment is, here's how you get validated. You'll know you're a man when you do this. And then you do it, and he shames you. He's such a jerk. He's lying to us. And this is the key for today's understanding that you're at a war that is not playing fair. And it is taking men out every day to addiction, sometimes to emasculation. Emasculation is really just something that we see more and more where, you know, a man has been turning to a woman through pornography or through just normal relationships. And because she doesn't and cannot validate him as a man, it makes him retreat. It makes him feel like less than a man. And some men really just become passive. Some men really just lose the strength to fight at all. And so they're not good at relationships. They can't keep relationships. They don't take on hard conversations. They just really start to act like less of the man that God made him to be and has equipped him to be. And he's very soft and passive. Again, as John had said many times, when we turn to women to fulfill us or to give us that validation and we find out that it can't, it leads us to living somewhere between these two worlds of addiction and emasculation. Um, I want to go back to the book one more time here. John says this interestingly. What's fascinating to note is that homosexuals are actually more clear on this point. They know that what is missing in their hearts is masculine love. The problem is that they've sexualized it. Joseph Nicolsi says that homosexuality is an attempt to repair the wound by filling it with masculinity. Either the masculine love that was missing or the masculine strength many men feel that they don't possess. possess. It too is a vain search, and that is why the overwhelming number of homosexual relationships do not last, why so many gay men move from one man to another, and why so many of them suffer from depression and a host of other addictions. What they need can't be found there. We cannot hear the real answer until we've gotten a false one. So men are being just destroyed by the devil, and he will take you wherever you're willing to go. Addiction, homosexuality, you know, passivity and emasculation, maybe a mixture of more than one of those, maybe it's something else. His main thing, though, is that he is afraid of you. Not the you, but the Christ in you. And he so desperately wants to destroy as much as he can because he knows his time is running out. He knows that if he can keep you from becoming the man that God meant for you to be, then he can continue to wipe out people around you. He knows he can't touch your salvation. He knows that in Christ you are hidden. But he does know that a strong you, a Christ-filled you, is going to just do damage to his kingdom as you advance God's kingdom. And here's what I just want us to know for today then, is that we need to recognize, number one, that you're at war. We have to recognize that what's behind that war is an enemy who will take you in any direction that you're willing to go other than fully committed to being the man that God made you to be. He wants to do anything in his power to keep you distracted, disillusioned, discouraged, and any other word you can think of there. He wants you out of the fight. And so today we're just simply recognizing that there is a battle going on. It is like D-Day. 
and there are casualties everywhere. The war is raging on around us, and the war is centered on your heart. The war is centered on my heart. And if we could become fully alive men, then God working through us can just do some incredible things. I want to remind you that when you came to Christ, you did so not with any strength that you brought to the table, but only on dependence and faith in who he was. You knew you had nothing to offer. There was nothing for you to say, I deserve to be here. I deserve this mercy and grace. No, you came in faith saying, God, only you could do this. And that is the place that we need to get back to today. We recognize the war and we don't try to fight in our own strength. We don't try to come and say that we are something special. We don't come to it even looking at women or any other thing as a place of validating our manhood. What we do is we say, God, in you, I am enough. You have made me in such a way that I am a man of honor and discipline, strength and joy because you have filled my life. And our appeal to you today in this conversation is that you would come back to that, that you would recognize what's happening, that this is a battle for your heart. And if we could restore it, then we can start to become the men that God meant for us to be and God's kingdom advances and we save and help and serve so many people around us. That's the mission today. So go from here, be alert, be strong, act like men, do everything in love and submit to him once again. Hey guys, thanks so much for being here today and listening to the show. Please be sure to head over to the website at getinthefight.club And before you go, if you haven't already, please subscribe, click the like button, and leave us a positive five-star review. It makes a huge difference whenever you do. Have a great day. Go get in the fight.